Y'all give Cindy a hand. She is such a servant. God bless you, Cindy. Thank you. Many of you don't know, but we practice um, the ladies' ensemble or congregational ensemble. By the way, anybody's welcome to sing with us when we do that. We want you to know it's, you know, we want you to come up and sing with us and help, help lead. But we have to come in here and we, we rehearse and go through the songs. She's willing to show up early and do that. and It's a big sacrifice and I appreciate her, her willingness to, to do that. Somebody asked me earlier, um, how, how, they said, what's the update on our uh, minister of music? Well, I said, here's the update. The one we have stinks. There. <laughs> and now, I've been busy the last couple of weeks, so I haven't done with Diane, so I haven't done a whole lot, but I have contacted a couple of preacher friends that I haven't before, so we're, we, are, we are trying, but I will tell you, I've been told by every bivocation, we're looking for a bivocation minister of music, that every, I talked to a preacher friend again yesterday, he said it is a slow go, and um, for other churches that he's aware of, so um, we, we are working. And uh, believe me, I have I'm highly motivated uh, to find somebody help lead our our music. Uh, God's good, isn't he? I love what John prayed, and we don't pray that enough. That you know that we would uh, set aside. And God would help us to clear our minds, and because there's so many things the devil wants you to think about rather than him when we get together for worship. Thinking about Christ's substitutionary death and spending four or five weeks really talking about that, that journey that Christ took. Primarily the journey of the day, the, the morning that, that Christ was crucified. Thinking about the things that went through His life. Things He experienced and what others experienced. That's what we're going to be talking about. And of course, today's our second message. So I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 23, I'm going to read the narrative out of uh, two passages, but first we're going to read out of Luke chapter 23, and, and then we're going to go to, um, we're going to, go to Mark, Mark chapter 15. Luke chapter 23, and uh, then we'll go to, to Mark's gospel. And just to let you know, scholars tell us this, that, and, and we... You know, if you studied the book of Acts, you realize this, this would be true, or it can be true just based on the history of the book of Acts, that Mark's gospel, uh, Mark spent a lot of time, now he spent a lot of time with Paul, but him and Paul had some issues. But he spent most of his time of the apostles he spent it with, Mark spent it with Peter. So many scholars say that the gospel of Mark is really Peter's gospel. And there is a lot of truth to that. So a lot of the things that Mark wrote about, if he did not have first-hand experience, uh, his mentor did, which was the Apostle, the Apostle Peter. So we're going to read Luke's account in just a moment, and we're going to read Mark's account of, of his encounter with, and who we're going to discover today is a gentleman by the name of Simon of Serene. We'll, we'll meet him in just a minute. You've heard about him. Let me read you this little, um, somewhat of an introduction. I've been doing this um, every week to kind of focus my attention, and hopefully it'll help you focus yours this morning. We believe that our Lord God 
We believe that our Lord God can do whatever He pleases. And we can fully trust Him to do that which is holy, wise, and amazingly merciful towards all of us who are in His Beloved. When we're in the Beloved, that means we're in Christ. And He is going to bless us. But it is also our responsibility to search the Scriptures to learn what He specifically has promised to do since that's what our faith rests in. You know, we, our faith rests in what He's revealed to us. So we want to know what the Scriptures reveal about how God acts. We're going to learn something today about how Christ acts towards believers. But it's also our responsibility to search the Scriptures and learn what He specifically has promised since that is what we put, put our faith in. Today we can explore Simon of Serene and his personal encounter with Jesus and see how it affected him and the possibilities that probably accompanied his encounter. He's the only one. Think about this. There's a big difference in in bearing the cross and carrying the cross. Jesus bore His own cross. But Simon, for a period of time, had the privilege to carry it for a little distance. But only Christ could bear His own cross. You understand what I'm saying? And you know, we're not asked to carry Christ's cross. When when it says that we die to self and take up whose cross? Our own cross. That means we... We need to daily die to self. That's what he's talking about. Um, Today we can explore Simon of Serene's personal encounter with Jesus and see how it affected him and the possibilities that accompanied that encounter. There is one obvious reality. Simon is the only believer who has carried the blood-drenched cross of Jesus and then faithfully carried his own cross until His own death. Because our Lord is the exalted King, He he has ordained His presence to be real to all who believe. And although we might not be in the Holy Land this morning, somewhere on the path between the Praetorium and the Damascus Gate, because Jesus, they were carrying Him out of this, they had to get Him out of the city in order to crucify Him. We're not there But God's presence is here. Let me tell you what it says. We're not on that path from the praetorium to the Damascus gate, but we're still promised His abiding presence. Jesus says that He is with us. Think about that. So, yes, Simon of Serene, we're going to read it in just a minute. Yes, Simon of Serene was ordered by Roman soldiers to bear the cross of Christ for some distance. He was actually in the presence of Christ. Well, the Bible says when we gather together by the Word and through the Spirit, we too are in the presence of Christ. And what God did for Simon of Serene by that incredible encounter, He can do for you. Now, you're not going to carry a blood-stained cross. You're not. But you can still meet Christ. That's the whole point of this. He's here, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we believe uh, that Jesus will do similar things in us and with us like He did when He walked on the face of the earth. Did Jesus not say, I am the Good Shepherd? Now, I don't know if you think about stuff like this, but Jesus is the Good Shepherd. 
And he says, and I lead my own sheep. Okay? Now, what's the percentage of sheep that Jesus led who were in the flesh? That literally walked in the sand and on the paths of Israel. 99.9% plus of believers have followed Jesus by word and spirit. But this is how believers encounter Jesus. By His Word and by His Spirit. So, one of the things when I kept studying this this week, yes, Simon of Cyrene was ordered by the Roman soldiers to carry the cross. By the way, it changed his life. When you study church history, you, you realize that Simon of Cyrene was a, a leader of the early church. No wonder. He, he went to Golgotha with Christ. But folks, we all go there by faith. You with me? We all go there by faith. So your Bible's open. I want to read Luke chapter 23 first, and then we'll flip back to uh, uh, Mark chapter 15. Just, just enjoy. I'm going to read the narrative. It's going to be much the same. They're synoptics, so a lot of the common things. I'm going to read the bigger picture uh, before we get down to meeting Simon of Serene. By the way, um, it's stuff I just want you to think about. Uh, he was from Africa. Simon of Cyrene is from Africa. Um, from what today is, uh, Cyrene was what Libya is today. Do you know how far Simon had traveled to be? And what day of the week is it? What day of the festival? What day is it? It's Passover. Now, he could have been a Jew. There were thousands upon tens of thousands of Jews in the, that had been persecuted. And of course, the, the Jews had been persecuted by the Roman Empire. A lot of them just left, left Israel. And it's possible that he was a Jew, but that name is, is also a Gentile name. We don't know. He could have been African descent. He could have been a Jew. But he was obviously a convert. He was a proselyte. If he wasn't a Jew, he was a proselyte to Judaism. Because he's there at Passover, right? And he's going to meet personally the Passover lamb. He had traveled 800 miles. Let me tell you something else about that. If Simon of Serene, we're going to read about him. If he was committed to Judaism, if he was a Jew and was committed to Judaism, or if he was a proselyte to Judaism. As a man, guess how many times he would have to make this trek to be a faithful Jew, according to the Old Testament? Three times a year. Most of them would stay after Passover, because 50 days later, Pentecost was a required feast for a male, 19 and older. That's why Pentecost is such a big festival when you get into the book of Acts. And you see, that's when the Spirit fell. Just incredible number of people were still in Jerusalem. So, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, or called the Feast of Booths, though, Fall Feast. Those three feasts were required for devout Jewish men to be in Israel. 
You can find that in Leviticus. You can find it in the Exodus. Required. So if he was committed, a committed Jew or committed to Judaism, he traveled to Jerusalem at least twice a year, 800 miles one way to be committed. Look on a map later. Don't do it now. Don't Google it while I'm preaching. But Look on a map. Pass through Egypt. He could have got in the... He could have, he, he, where he lived, he could have gone to the coast and got on a ship and crossed the Mediterranean. Just, it just was a long trek. 800 miles. But he was there. So, I would look. so anyways, um, by the way, it's something that's unrelated to this in some ways, but it is related. Uh, I've always found this to be uh, incredible. One of God's promises, I don't, I don't know if you've worked through this in your mind, but if you're an enemy, if you're an enemy of the Jews, and you're aware of, of their devotion to Yahweh, now I'm thinking Old Testament now, if I'm an if I'm an enemy of Israel and I become aware of their devotion to Yahweh and I happen to be studying the Jews because I want to attack them, I realize that three times a year the men are required to be where? In Jerusalem. Do you know what the Bible promises? You know what God promised? That He would change the hearts of the enemies of Israel during those three feasts. Think about that. They were never attacked during those three, feast, those three feast days. Because God would do a miraculous work to the enemies of Israel and they would never pursue attacking it. Isn't that a miracle? But that was one of the covenant promises. Folks, God makes promises to us through Christ. And just as He kept the promises of the old covenant, He's going to keep the promises of the new covenant. I'm in verse 18 of chapter 23. And obviously we're going to stay at this for quite a while because we're, you know, we're headed towards Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday. It says, in, But they all cried, cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Uh, some say he, he was a thief and a robber and a murderer. And uh, anything, that, uh, anything that takes the place of Christ is a thief. Think about that. So they're calling for Barabbas. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! A third time He said to them, Why? What evil has He done? It's a very important statement. I have found in Him no guilt deserving of death. He's the sinless Son of God. He's the sinless Passover Lamb. I will therefore punish... Now, He's innocent. Right? Look, look, look at the oddity of this. Look what politics do. Look what peer pressure does. Look, he's innocent, Pilate says. But even though he's innocent, I'll punish him. And then I'll let him go. He's going to break the law to satisfy the Jews. 
He says, I will punish him. I will therefore punish him and release him. Now this is because you and I are sinners. He's bearing our punishment. He's bearing our guilt. He's bearing our judgment. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices and their voices prevailed. I think about political movements today that have a sometimes their messages are empty, but they shout the loudest and they get a hearing. Crucify him, crucify him, they would say, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand, their demand, Pilate's a Roman governor. These are these are his subjects. You see, because this this crucifixion was not ordained by men. Who's it ordained by? God. So this is a this is a governor surrendering to his subjects to give them their will. <laughs> it's crazy, but this is about the sovereign plan of God, because in eternity past, according to the book of Hebrews. God had ordained with the Son that this is the day Christ would die. Paul talks about this in the book of Galatians, that there's there's a certain point in time in history that God ordained that Christ would die. But let's move on. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, and he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Serene, who was coming in, now pay special attention, who was coming in from the country, and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us. And to the hills cover us, for if they do these things when the wood is green. That's a proverb of the day. And Jesus is talking about He is a young teaching prophet as they saw Him. If they'll do this to a leader of the Jews, what are they going to do to you? Basically is what He says. Now, go to Mark's account. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, uh, let's pick up at uh, verse 16. Mark 15, 16. By the way, if, if you've ever studied, um, well, Sandy Patty has a very famous song called the Via Della Rosa. I, I, I don't know if you even know what that word Latin it It means the, the path of sorrows. It's... Uh, and if you, when you go to Israel, we won't do the Via Della Rosa because it's not historically accurate. There are some things. There's 14 stations that they say, and I say they. It's, it's 
a lot of it's Catholicism, but there's 14 stations they say uh, the path of sorrows, the Via Dolorosa. And so they say that, that, but that's what this, you know, that's what we're reading. When Jesus left, um, we often call it the Praetorium, but the Roman, the Roman guardhouse, the Roman court, from there to Golgotha is called the Via Dolorosa, this, this path of sorrow that Jesus carried His cross. And obviously Luke and Mark and, and uh, Matthew are going to remind us that, that He didn't carry it the whole way, that, that He needed help. By the way, not only did Simon travel 800 miles, let's think about Jesus. From, And you'll visit there if you ever go to Jerusalem. You'll visit these places from, from where Jesus was tried, where Pilate surrendered Him to the crowd and sent Him away to be crucified. From there to Golgotha is... Uh, now this is after they whipped Him. You know, they, they're going, they scourged Him. Then, he, then they... He, they put the cross on him and he has to carry it. It's it's a two thousand feet is what they've measured, and that's pretty close to six seven hundred meters. So he's going to carry, you know, let's just say two football fields, three football fields. You know, say so he carries. He's going to have to carry it a good distance through the streets of Jerusalem because it's a mocking event. He's scorning people, people mocking, spitting on him, slapping him, those things. Because as they said, he's a condemned criminal. So I'm in Mark's account, Mark chapter 15. And look at verse 16. It says, And the soldiers led him away inside, inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And, and they were striking his head with with a reed, uh, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in, in homage to him, just mocking. What did Jesus ever do? He healed, resurrected the dead, cast out. Think about. What Jesus did, the history of Jesus, just, even if you didn't believe in Him as a Messiah, as a prophet, the things that Jesus did in and around Jerusalem, especially in Galilee, were impeccable. But, but politically and religiously, He needs to be disposed of. And so the political powers have their way. And so here they are. Just my, and of course, we, take, we know it's even more. This is God... In human form, this is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the God-man who, who made the tree that He's going to be crucified on, right? That, that formed the dirt that He's walking on. This is God in human form that they're doing this to. And they were striking His head with a reed and spitting on Him and kneeling in homage to Him. And when they had mocked Him, they stripped Him of His purple they stripped him of the purple, they put it on to mock him, purple cloak and put his own clothes back on him and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby. Let me read that again. Verse 21. And they compelled a passerby. I like that word. That's how I talk. They, they compelled a passerby. Now, let me just say this. Every 
day, every, really every moment of your life as a believer, you're passing by what Christ has done for you. Every moment of every day, you're, a, you're passing by what He's done. And you've got, you're going to, every moment, you're making a decision about how much that death meant for you. That He bore your punishment. He took your guilt. He shed His blood to atone for your sin debt. You're a passerby every moment of every day for what Christ has done. Well, it says, and they compelled a passerby. Of course, we read, you know, He came from the country. Simon of Serene, who was coming in from the country, the father, this is very unusual, okay? We'll get to it in a minute. The father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. Let me just say this. If they mention his two sons, this is where you get pretty convinced that he's there to worship at Passover. He's brought his sons, okay? And uh, if in fact the scholars are right, if this is Peter's gospel, so to speak, if, if, if Peter helped Mark with some of the events, uh, Peter knows not only Simon of Serene, but he knows his two sons. By the way, Rufus is mentioned in the book of Romans. Interesting, isn't it? And church history tells us that Simon of Serene became a leader of the first century church, and so were, so were his sons. Let's move on. That's why you find his name right here in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. And that's all that has to be said. Think about this. God led Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel writers, God led them. All of them have basically one verse talking about Simon of Serene. Mark's the only one that mentions his sons. There's a reason for that. Because their role in the church when Mark penned his gospel was extremely significant. Let me just say this. Obviously, bearing the cross of Christ changed Simon of Serene. He, he was saved somehow, some way, by bearing the cross. So it says, uh, so with the father, with the father of the father of that's how they introduced him. He's from Serene, Simon of Serene, but he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. By the way, the Greek word for Rufus, the literal word means red. I like that red. So obviously, more than likely, Rufus had what color hair? Red. Okay, uh, to carry his cross, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha which means the place of the skull. It's Aramaic for the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, uh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. That's nine o'clock in the morning. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And folks, for the sake of time, I just want to give you three or four things to think about. Um, I 
Luke tells us something that none of the other gospel writers tell us. Let me show you this. Take, take your Bibles and go to... Um, hold on, let me think. Go to... Um, go back to Luke chapter 23. Let me show you this, what, what Luke does here. It's interesting. You know, the Bible says that we are to... Luke, go back to Luke 23. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a while. Um, that ever happened to you? Where am I? Yeah, okay. Luke chapter 23. One reason you want to read the synoptics and read each account to some degree is because they each give you different insights into this event. But only Luke tells us something about... um, says, um, as they... I'm at verse uh, 26. It says in... And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Serene who was coming in from the country. Both of them said that. So, I want, for the sake of time, so think about, okay, think about what meeting Jesus does. Let's just put it this way meeting Jesus for Simon of Serene, I know one thing that it did, okay, physically, but also spiritually is that Simon of Serene was coming in from the country. That means he, he had just come in from outside the city gates. So he had been out walking, coming, and he came into the city. But this encounter... So let me ask you this. Where, were they going to crucify Jesus in the city or outside the city? Outside. So just think in the, the word picture, Simon of Serene, meeting Christ that day, changed his direction. Because... Physically, he had come in. He was coming in from the country, right? From outside, coming into the city. But because of what happened, he had to turn around and he had to follow, right? Back outside the city gate. So, meeting Christ, and I mean, it's logical when you watch, he changed his direction. But really, the application, I want you to see, it's not about his physical direction. I want you to notice that it changed his spiritual direction. Whatever happened that day, yes, physically he had to turn around and go back out of the city, but spiritually it also changed his direction. But Luke is the only one that tells us that once he bore the cross, he didn't walk in front of Jesus, he walked behind Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Let me tell you what I find. Go back to Luke chapter 9. This is... And I, I don't know if this is why God led Luke to do this, but so what do we do when we come to Christ by faith? What are we called to do? To follow Jesus. You know, several times, uh, like the blind man, when Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus, and when everything was said and done, it says Bartimaeus, now that he could see, it says he followed Jesus on the way. So when when they handed him the cross, whether it was a cross piece or the whole cross, we're not sure, but when they made him carry the cross, he didn't go ahead of Jesus, he went behind Jesus. And it's interesting because if you go back to Luke chapter 9, and look what chapter 9, um, Luke 9, look at verse... Uh, Well, just for the sake of time, look at verse 23. Uh, 
And he said, and he said to everybody, or he said to all, if anyone would come after me, there's plan of worship, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So it's interesting that when Luke records the events, he makes sure for us to know that historically, I mean, this is a real historical event, that from a physical standpoint, yes, Simon of Serene carried the cross, but he carried it and followed Jesus as Jesus walked towards Golgotha. That's a picture of what we're supposed to do spiritually. But we take up our own cross and we, and we follow Him. Well, not only did He say it in Luke chapter 9, look at, look at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. So folks, this, this, this meeting that Simon of Serene had with Jesus changed his direction. Look at chapter 14. Um, look at verse uh, 25. Luke 14, 25. By the way, it's also... And again, I, I'm just picturing this. I, obviously, I'm, I'm not there. I will say the the city streets are very narrow. I mean, they, you know, so there's not highways everywhere inside the city. Even to this day, the paths are very narrow which you're walking on. So obviously, if you were with somebody, a lot of times the teacher would lead and, and people would follow behind him because everybody you couldn't walk broad, you know, five of you across. So if I, so so they were they would. This is what we do. We follow him. You follow me. And so Jesus is talking about discipleship. Uh, the call in verse 25 says, Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children. Now, folks, we need to read this verse over and it, it's not telling me to hate Diane. By the way, Diane's getting out of the hospital tomorrow. Amen. Yeah, that's what I say. Good grief. Anyway. Um, do you know how much work there's to do at the house when you're by yourself? Good. I got eight puppies. If it wasn't for Bonnie, I would have lost my mind. Anyway, so, so he says to the great multitudes. And folks, I love Diane. She's my, I love Jesus more. Diane didn't save me from my sins. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I love you. I don't love you as much as Jesus. And on Wednesday we did a we had a funeral here for one of my youth that had a heart attack when I was at Highland Avenue. When your youth are forty six, you're getting a little bit old. So right, Bruce, I mean it happens. And uh and so and his name's Binky, that's what I call him. Binky was a great guy. But at the end of the service, I reminded them, Binky, we're not. Binky was great, but the whole point of me for me, it's not about Binky. It's about Christ, right, folks? Compared to my love for Him, that's what He's talking about. Who's the greater? Who do you love more? And, and folks, some of us can't say that we love Christ more than our own kids and families. We sell out to Him all the time for them. I mean, thus saith 
You name them. A lot of people have much more sway in your life than Christ does. So he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sister, yea, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross. I want you to see, all this cross bearing. Yes, Simon is serene is the only person in history that bore the physical cross of Christ. Jesus is not asking me and you to bear His cross. Only He could bear that cross and pay for sin. But He wants you to die daily. You have, your, you have to put you on a cross every day. Or I'm going to tell you, if you don't, the flesh will win. Every moment of every day, you need to be killing self. You need to have an execution. Every moment, it needs to be, the old you needs to be on a cross. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Cannot be his disciple. So number one, by the way, did you notice, here's something else, Just and I, I know I'm going to run out of time, but Simon of Serene, it changed his direction. Coming in, he goes back out. Now again, I, this isn't in the text, but I'm just reading it, I'm visualizing it. But there's another word that comes to mind when I see the, the event of him coming into the city, being forced to carry the cross of Christ by a Roman soldier, and turning around and heading back out to where he just came from, so to speak. That's the word for conversion. To be converted is to change. Or it's another word for repentance. To make a 180 degree turn is the word to turn around. So all these things are pictures of what happens when somebody meets Christ that meets Christ, the Passover lamb. This is, this is spiritually what should happen to anybody that meets the, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's about change of direction. Um, it's about a new occupation. I, I, I'll, I'm out of time, but others. What was in, in history, at this point in the history of in Bible history in New Testament times in first century, it changed not only... Simon of Serene's direction. But it changed his... And again, this is a loose way of putting it. I say his identity or his occupation. See, one thing we know about Simon, he could have, matter of fact, he could have been black. A lot of scholars say this was, this was the first black African that met Christ. And we can't confirm that, but it could have been. But there's one thing the Roman soldiers knew when they saw him. He wasn't a Roman. Because it was illegal for a Roman citizen to be forced to do this kind of manual labor. But for him, his occupation for that moment in time, because of who he was and where he was, he was a cross-bearer. Folks, not only does meeting Christ change our direction, but it changes our occupation. For the rest of our lives, we're a cross-bearer. We're to kill self. Let me show you a Bible verse that makes so much sense thinking of this event. And we'll close with this, but go to, go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, real quickly. Um, I'm going to read to you a couple of things. I just have to, okay? We have to get... Because we don't want to have to come... Not that I don't want to come back to Simon, but I need to move on. But there's just so much... 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, look at verse, uh, hope I can find it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think I wrote it down somewhere. Uh, don't give up on me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, by the way, I'll tell you something else that's interesting about this. 2 Corinthians 4, I'll find it, um, is that according to Lamentations, when, when Simon carried the cross, okay, more than likely the blood of Jesus, which it was a bloodletting. Have you ever thought why the Roman soldiers asked him to do it? Why? Do you think it was an act of mercy? The Roman soldiers felt sorry for Jesus. Do you, do you think that was it? No. What probably did they see as Jesus was walking these 200 feet from where they left to the Golgotha? What did they see about Jesus physically? You can say it out loud. Probably wasn't going to make it, right? What was their goal that day? What were they given the right to do by Pilate? What were they supposed to do? Crucify Him. So whatever they had to do to get Jesus on a cross, that's how bloodletting they were committed to. No matter what it was going to take, they were going to get Jesus to Golgotha and put nails through His hands and His feet and crucify Him. More than likely, that's why the Roman soldiers had Simon of Cyrene. But because of the scourging and all that, y'all, y'all, we would even talk about it when we get to Easter. It was a bloodletting. So obviously, guess what happened if... Well, what, what got on Simon? You can see blood. If it got on him, if it got on his clothes, according to Lamentations, he was unclean. Now think about this. It made him ritually unclean to go to the temple. But at the same time, that same blood will cleanse you from your sins. Think about that. Think about that. Just an incredible thing. Two different sides of that coin, what happens. I'm in, I'm in 2 Corinthians. We'll, we'll finish with this. Look at verse... Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, look at verse 7. Okay. By the way, another thing I wrote down in my little notes here, it said, this, this event is a full display of man's depravity. If you're just thinking about the whole scene, spitting, mocking, hitting with sticks, cursing, uh, stripping, then putting his old clothes back on him, and just and your goal—the goal of the Rome and the Jews, the Jewish religious leaders—I mean, they were pumped about it—was to get him to Golgotha, so he could be put on a tree and nailed to a tree. It's just depravity at, it, at, it, at its finest, but. Uh, by the way, something else. Um, you think Simon... Now, this isn't in the Scriptures. because. By the way, I think there was a lot of persecution when Mark recorded this. That's why he didn't say where he was. He didn't say where his sons were, right? But he just records who he is. and there's a, Everybody that's saved knows Simon. So all he has to do is mention his name, right? Knew who he was. But... So you think about how how in, how incredibly uh, important that these three and others were 
to, to the work of the, the work of the early church. Let me let me pick it before I chase another rabbit. It says, uh, uh, well, I was going to ask you, do you think Simon was ever ashamed to talk about the event? You think he, you think his faith was private? You think he, when somebody said, hey, Simon, tell us about the day Christ was crucified. You think he, think he would say, nah, that's not important. Think he, think he would ever shy away from telling the story of the death of Christ? You think? Oh, that's private. That's, uh, ever ashamed? Of, are you ever ashamed of talking about the substitutionary death of Christ for your sins? We have this treasure, he says, in earthen vessels or jars of clay. I like that. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You know, Adam, God made Adam. I don't know how I think of this stuff, I'm sorry, but to tell you the significance of, it's not you, it's God. It's, God made Adam and breathed life into him. Adam in, in Hebrew, if you read the Old Testament, it's Adam. Okay, Adam. The word dirt is Adamah. Because what is Adam? What are you? What makes you so special today to God the Father? It's His Son. It's His having Christ in you, the Bible says, the hope of glory. That's your hope. Well, so we have this treasure in jars of clay. Let's read. Uh, so the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted on every way, in every way, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Here we are. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Always thinking about what Jesus done for us. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So it's about, it's about knowing what Jesus did Dying to self and living for Christ. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. We want to die daily for Jesus. Because look what he says. So that the life... Why do we want to die to self? Why? Why do we want to bear a cross? Every day, every moment. We want to carry our own cross and we want to die daily. Why? He says it. So that the life, if we die to self, guess whose life can come through? You can answer that. Jesus. So the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So he says, so death is at work in us. So Paul says, hey, we've been dying. He's talking about himself and those that travel... Death is working in us, but life is working in you. So the more I die to self, the more life I can shine to others. That's what he's talking about. So folks, this is why we die uh, daily. Oh gosh, there's so many things. I, I got all these notes on here. Um, You know, it says this, when you think about this event, uh, and that, you know, soon after this, Christ would die. I mean, He bears the cross with Him. You know, uh, 
six hours later, Christ is dead. Uh, and you know, they got to get him off the cross. And, and, and uh, Do you know what the Bible says that God did because Jesus died on this cross? This is interesting. Philippians 2 tells us this. We'll stop here. Because of this death, that Christ humbled Himself, became a servant, Jewish man, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Then you know what the next verse says? God, the Father, has highly exalted Him and given Him the name that is above every name. Whether in heaven or on earth, the name of Jesus. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Folks, you can confess Him now as Lord. Or one day you're going to meet Him as you're judged and you're going to confess He's still Lord. To know Him is to know life. To, know, to not know Him is to be living dead. Do you know the Christ that went to the cross and died 2,000 years? Let's pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts are open to the Lord and Folks, now don't think about the time. we going a little over. That's okay. We're going to talk about Jesus and talk about salvation. In just a minute, we're going to do what we've done many times and we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. But here's what I want you to understand. Yes, our crowd's down today, but here's the truth. There is somebody here that's not saved. Somebody here knows who Jesus is, knows about Jesus, but you've never been, you've never had a change of direction. You've never had a change of occupation. You, you're not transformed. You're not a cross bearer. Jesus is, is not your Lord. He's just a person. He's a historical person. It's some kind of religion. But you've never been saved. You've ne There's nothing in you that manifests the life of Christ. So, I want you to meet the Christ that Simon of Serene met 2,000 years ago. And no, you don't have to go back to Jerusalem to do that. The Bible says the Spirit of God and the Word of God brings Christ imminent. He He is here. And just as powerful as His presence was to Simon of Serene 2,000 years ago, His presence is powerful now. So here's the truth. If you're here today and you've never been saved, Christ can save you from your sins today. Now in just a second, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. And we're doing that praying that if you're here without Christ, we call it an invitation because we're inviting you to come tell me that you need to be saved. If you're young and you want to talk to Robbie, Robbie's up here. You can come speak to Robbie. But this is an invitation specifically this morning for those that need to be saved. Do you know Christ? Have you been born again?